Submission and marriage. If you want to heat up a conversation, simply mention those words. Chapter 5. Who's in charge around here anyway? He was the last one off of the plane. When his wife, holding their younger daughter, saw him, she ran to his open arms. They were oblivious to the people waiting to board. Their embrace was deeply touching and prolonged. Lingering behind was their older daughter, about six years of age. As soon as dad could let go of mom, he knelt and swept her into a bear hug. They were lost in their own world. Then dad began to reach for the small daughter, still in her mother's arms, but she wouldn't go to him. Mom kept turning this way and that so he could see her, but she was covering her eyes with her hands. She didn't remember him. He respected her unwillingness with a loving pat. And this is Nancy. As they walked past me, I heard the older child confide, Oh, Daddy, you were gone so long, and we missed you so much. It was then that I read the word printed in capital letters on the back of his jacket, Navy. It brought back memories of this same scenario when my father was in the Air Force years ago. I was seven years old and the older sister. I hadn't seen him for almost two years. My younger sister, born shortly after dad's departure, had never laid eyes on him. What could keep men who obviously adored their families away from their loved ones for months, even years? Like the stranger in the airport and my own beloved father, when you serve your country in the military, you submit to those in authority over you. If this were not so, our country would become unprotected quickly. We would eventually be taken over by a country whose soldiers were compliant. At the very core of our freedom is the principle of submission to authority. A principle in everyday life. Perhaps you've never thought about it, but this principle is at work all around you in everyday life. It is the way governments and businesses are run, and it's necessary for maintaining order. Suppose you went to a fast food restaurant, and everyone wanted to work the counters, but no one was willing to prepare the food. What would it be like if you went to the grocery store, and because all the employees wanted to be assigned to the bakery that day, no one stocked the shelves or checked your items at the register? Schools would close if all teachers decided that being a physical education instructor was more fun than teaching English or math. The children might become trained athletes, but they would never learn to read or write. Can you imagine what life would be like without this underlying principle of authority? It would be chaotic, non-functional, and in some cases, life-threatening. In the military, this authority is outlined in governmental operating procedures. In the business world, it is delineated by corporate guidelines. In the home, it is declared by the word of God. Declared by the word of God. When you get married, another of your wedding gifts from God is an umbrella he gives you for protection. It has a name, submission. How do we know this was given by God? Because he tells us so in his word. Wives, submit to your husbands, ask to the Lord. And that's from Ephesians 5.22. This principle in marriage is often skipped, laughed at, or scorned. 
It is ignored and derided, much to the detriment of the woman it was meant to bless. To most women, there is no flag so red as the flag of submission. Submission defined. Just what does submission mean? If you ask a dozen people, chances are you'll get a dozen answers. Here's a simple definition. Submission is voluntarily cooperating with another out of love and respect for God and for that person. Perhaps this definition will change your view of submission as it did for one woman. She said, hey, I can do that. I want to do that. I don't want not to do that. Double negative aside, this woman caught a glimmer of God's best for her and said, I can do it. She said later that her previous failures had occurred because she left God out of the equation. Have you done this too? If you have, no wonder you're struggling. Leaving God out of the equation is like going deep sea diving without an oxygen tank. You'd be so busy bobbing to the top for air that you'd never discover the treasures on the ocean floor. Did you notice that the definition of submission didn't include the words inferior to or less than? Frequently, these words are interwoven with our idea of what submission means. But this is wrong thinking. A wife isn't inferior to her husband in any way. In Genesis 1.27, we are told that they are created equal in God's image. The chain of authority. Submission is not an issue of superiority. There is no differentiation in the body of Christ as far as spiritual privilege and position are concerned. However, Paul clearly states that there is headship of the man over the woman. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. And that's from 1 Corinthians 11.3. We are under our husband's authority and ultimately God's. Submission is not a demeaning thing. This is the hard concept for most people to grasp. We're equal to our husbands, yet we're still under their authority. Being under someone simply means that you have less authority than they do, not that you're worthless. This in itself is a problem for many women because we like being the authorities, don't we? Or at least the co-authorities. Yet God, in his infinite wisdom, decided to place woman not under every man's authority, but under her husband's authority. Paul goes on to say, Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And that's in verse 9. This is also a difficult thing for many women to swallow, but this is God's plan. As we said in chapter 1, God didn't consider creation complete until he created woman. In no way was she looked upon as second rate or as an afterthought. Her very existence helped define Adam. God's intention is not to make you miserable, and he didn't send Jesus to the cross to assure your second-class citizenship. His death assured your royal citizenship, a citizenship in heaven. And the reference there is Philippians 3.20. This same love says, Wives, submit to your husbands. In the home, there is a God-given chain of authority in the home. The husband is under the authority of God, and the wife is under her husband's authority. 
in a sense, your husband is the president and you are the vice president. Do you find at times that rather than concentrating on the vice presidency, you are eyeing the office of president? Or maybe you have already made a successful takeover bid and appointed yourself to this position. Imagine that you've just been asked to interview for the job of a vice president in a Fortune 500 company. It is a prestigious position and you will be reporting directly to the president, the owner's son. You go in for the interview and a copy of the job description is given to you to review. Do you ask to see a copy of the president's job description? Of course not. That is none of your concern. Your concern is your own job description. Do you go into the job thinking that you will take the presidency away from the president? No, you concentrate on your own job. You have no authority to fire the president. This power lies with someone much higher than you. This example holds true in your marriage as well. What you are to concentrate on is your own job description. You are responsible for your role. Your husband is responsible for his. What if you do your job, but he doesn't do his? That is between him and the father. God will deal with a disobedient or ungodly husband. Your concern is whether or not you're doing your job well, and you can gauge this by your obedience. Submission requires strength, and this is from Connie. Ten years ago, my family and I lived by Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. One summer day, our neighbors called and said they were going to hike a nearby trail. It was supposed to be an especially beautiful trail, and we agreed to go with them. After packing a picnic lunch, we headed out. We drove to the bottom of the trail, got out of our cars, and began the hike. The spot to which we had driven was already high up in the mountains, and we would be climbing even farther. It was a gorgeous day. The air was cool and crisp, and the view was majestic. My husband and I took turns carrying our three-month-old daughter in her carrier, and our four-year-old twins scampered along the trail with the other children. As we marched along, we all agreed that this was a day we'd long remember. After stopping for lunch, we set out again. Before long, we came to the mountain's edge. A suspension bridge loomed before us, connecting the mountain on which we were now standing to another mountain several hundred feet beyond. Below the bridge ran a large, thundering river. Due to the heavy spring rains, it flowed at a furious pace. Its waters hit the rocks with a mighty crash, and the turbulence was so great that we had to raise our voices to be heard. The water turned white as it tumbled over and over itself on its way downstream. "'Shall we go across?' my friend asked the rest of the group. "'Or are you ready to go back?' What a silly question to ask six children and two adventuresome men. Go across, they shouted enthusiastically. Go back, I said. There's no way I'm going to cross that bridge. It's already swaying all over the place. What do you think will happen when all of us get on it? It could break. I'm not a water person. I'm comfortable in a bathtub, but beyond that, I become nervous. I didn't learn to swim until I took a beginning course in college, and even then I spent most of the time at the bottom of the pool. The thought of crossing that long, wobbly bridge, which appeared to me to be hanging perilously, seemed insane. Come on, honey, I'll help you across, my husband offered. 
I'll get you on the other side, our neighbor said. We'll go as slowly as you want. No, I'll just sit here with the baby and wait until you come back, I said. You go ahead. I don't mind a bit. But they wouldn't hear of it. It was all or none. I took a deep breath. Okay, I'll cross. Then I turned to my husband and warned, Don't you dare pretend to throw me overboard. My husband threw back his head in laughter and agreed. With one final look at the mountain upon which my feet firmly rested, off we went. The other adults interspersed themselves among the children, and I brought up the rear. They crossed quickly while I literally inched my way along. I'm sure I looked a bit idiotic going so slowly, but I didn't care. With every grip of the rope, I braced myself for the bridge to give way. After getting our girl safely across, my husband ran back to help me. I was practically on my hands and knees as I stepped off the bridge. Everyone cheered wildly. We set off on the second leg of the trip, and it was even more beautiful than the first. Had I been unwilling to cross the bridge, I would never have experienced what lay beyond. Submission and marriage is similar. The first mountain represents those women who refuse, for whatever reason, to submit to their husbands. Guided by their feelings and their mentality of modern times, they feel secure in their footing and see no reason to change. The other mountain represents those women who have chosen to be submissive. Their lives are characterized by an overriding sense of peace, even when the storm clouds rumble overhead. This is a rare thing. The only way to get from the first mountain to the second is over a bridge called obedience. Do you feel that only weak women cross this bridge? That couldn't be further from the truth. Submission is not for the weak-willed or faint-hearted. It requires true discipline and supernatural strength. This could well be one of the most exciting and liberating principles you will ever discover. Regardless of whether your marriage changes or not, you will be changed, and it will bring about a closer walk with God. God blesses obedience. Your opinion counts. Does this mean a wife cannot appeal her husband's decisions? Definitely not, and this is Nancy. In my own marriage, if I want to do something, visit my father, for example, and Ray doesn't want me to go at that time, I appeal to him, presenting my reasons, and in the end, I do what he asks. This happened several years ago. I had just come home from a three-day retreat, walked in the door, and greeted Ray when the phone rang. It was my beloved dad, who wanted me to come to his home in Virginia to care for him after elective surgery. I thought surely Ray would agree, but he didn't. I expressed my surprise at his decision and my strong desire to go. He explained that he didn't mind if I went the following week, but that since I had just returned home, he wanted to be with me. After all, he reasoned, it was elective and not emergency surgery. So I stayed home. This was very difficult, and I was not happy about it, but I privately forgave him. My sister did go, however. She told me later that it meant the world to her and that she and Dad had bonded in a way they had not before, and Dad was 89 and she was 55. Dad passed away in September. Christine and I were both at his bedside, deeply connected to him and each other with no regrets. 
the husband's leadership. How can you get your husband to be the leader in your home? Simply put, you can't. He already is the leader. God made that clear in the garden. But you can help your husband assume the leadership role. You can do this by introducing into your marriage the things God tells you to do in his word. When you do, the results can be far-reaching. Although he has the authority to do so, the husband doesn't necessarily make all the decisions. A wise man sees his wife's giftedness in certain areas and delegates those responsibilities to her. But if the husband wants things one way and the wife another, the husband is to make the final decision. What if he's dead wrong, as can be the case? This is often the way he learns to consider more carefully his wife's opinion in the future. If she insists on her own way, however, she sows contentiousness and reaps bitterness and division. One of the privileges of submission is that a woman no longer takes the consequences of a decision upon herself. When she submits to her husband and allows him to lead, the consequences fall on him. Submission's Fruit Submitting to our husbands out of obedience to God's word is all the motive we need. Yet Peter tells us that there may be another result as well. So that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And that's from 1 Peter 3.1. Your godly behavior may be used by God to influence your husband for eternal good, whether that means winning him to the Savior or influencing his walk with God. It may happen in a matter of weeks or it may take years. A husband who is won to the word. In his book, Straight Talk, James Dobson, president and founder of Focus on the Family Ministries, gives a beautiful example of this. He talks about his paternal grandfather, R.L. Dobson. R.L. Dobson was a good and moral man, but saw no need for the Christian faith. This spiritual disinterest placed his grandmother under great pressure. She was a devout Christian who felt she must put God first. Therefore, she accepted the responsibility of introducing her six children to Jesus Christ. In Dr. Dobson's words, There were times when my grandfather placed tremendous pressure on my grandmother, not to give up her faith, but to leave him out of it. He said, I'm a good father and provider, I pay my bills, and I'm honest in dealing with my fellow man. That is enough. His wife pleaded, you are a good man, but that is not enough. You should give your heart to God. This he could not comprehend. My 97-pound grandmother made no attempt to force her faith on her husband, nor did she treat him disrespectfully, but she quietly continued to pray and would fast for the man she loved. For more than 40 years, she brought this same petition before God on her knees. Then, at 69 years of age, my grandfather suffered a stroke, and for the first time in his life, he was desperately ill. One day, his young daughter came into his room to clean and straighten. As she walked by his bed, she saw tears in his eyes. No one had ever seen him cry before. Daddy, what's wrong? she asked. He responded, Honey, go to the head of the stairs and call your mother. My grandmother ran to my husband's side and heard him say, I know I'm going to die, and I'm not afraid of death, 
but it's so dark. There's no way out. I've lived my whole life through and missed the one thing that really matters. Will you pray for me? Will I pray? exclaimed my grandmother. She had been hoping for that request throughout her adult life. She fell to her knees, and the intercessions of forty years seemed to pour out through that bedside prayer. R.L. Dobson gave his heart to God that day in a wonderful way. During the next two weeks, he asked to see some of the church people whom he had offended and requested their forgiveness. He concluded his personal affairs and then died with a testimony on his lips. Before descending into a coma from which he would never awaken, my grandfather said, Now there is a way through the darkness. The unrelenting prayers of my little grandmother had been answered. How's your walk? There's a well-known saying that goes something like this. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks more than your talk talks. That is what being won over without words by the behavior of their wives means. Our husbands are far more likely to respond to Christ if they see something in our lives that draws them to him who lives in us, as Dr. Dobson's grandfather saw in his grandmother. Had she been a wife who nagged, pleaded, and scolded, why would her husband want what she had? Your actions speak far louder than what you say. The results are in God's hands. Submission exemplified. What we believe is expressed in the way we behave. The way we behave reveals our character. Our character is determined by the choices we make. Those choices begin with a decision made in our minds, and these decisions are activated by our wills. This is what God sees. God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And that's from 1 Samuel 16, 7. We've chosen six qualities of godly women along with the opposite traits. The opposite traits closely parallel the excuses many women make regarding their lack of submission in marriage. Humility versus pride. Love is not proud. And the reference here is 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Many women lack a willingness to follow God's directive in the area of humility. As they read their Bibles, women see for themselves what it has to say on the matter of submission and discuss it at length. Yet many still disregard the principle of submission. Often it is not a lack of understanding that keeps them from submitting, but a proud heart. Many women, after reading a passage, ask, Why should I? Until he changes, why should I? Their reasons seem genuine, but underneath lurks pride. Frequently a woman filled with pride is stubborn and contentious in her marriage. Ultimately, when you say, I'm doing my part, but he's not doing his, you are boasting. You can make yourself look awfully good when you weigh your efforts against your husband's. But this doesn't change what the Lord has asked of you. When your child comes to you to tattle on a sibling, do you ever say, you don't need to worry about that? The same lesson applies here. It is freeing to realize that we don't have to keep score. Other common justifications for taking over your husband's role include, he's not as smart, 
sensitive, or mature as I am. He is not a believer or as good a Christian or as biblically literate as I am. The Lord has gifted me with a discerning spirit, so I'll make the better decision. Leadership is not his forte, but it is mine. Therefore, he cannot lead, but I can. I am leading our family because he can't. I have no other choice. Your choice here is to obey God, and this must take precedence over your rationalization for taking over the leadership role in your home. There is no way you can do both. A woman may feel that her husband actually wants her to lead. Could it be that because his leading never suited her, it simply became easier to allow her to lead than to be criticized constantly? The bottom line is this. God has called your husband to lead. He has called you to help your husband succeed in that role. Any attempt on your part to wrestle the leadership role from your husband is sin. There is no way around this truth. Even if your husband is a non-believer, he is still to be the leader of your home. In other words, your submission isn't about your husband's behavior. It's about your own. Don't try to convince yourself otherwise. If pride is your sin, humbly confess this to God. When you humble yourself in the presence of God, he will exalt you. And the reference there is James 4.10. Trust versus fearfulness. Love trusts God always. And the reference here is 1 Corinthians 13.7. And this is Connie. It was an awakening for me when I realized that submission was really a trust issue. Could I trust God enough to obey his command? Once I understood this, the issue for me was no longer about submitting. It was about trusting God. I was reminded of my dad swimming in the deep end of a swimming pool. He would often say to my youngest sister, who was standing on the deck, jump in and I'll catch you. My sister, who couldn't swim, would jump into his arms every time because she trusted him. This example pales in comparison to how greatly we can trust Jesus Christ. Selflessness versus self-centeredness. Love cares more for others than for self. And the reference there is 1 Corinthians 13.4. Ephesians 5.21 says that we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But the very next verse specifically instructs women to submit themselves to their husbands as to the Lord. Yet many women are intent on running things their way. This is self-centeredness. An article on February 21st, 1998, in the Omaha World Herald entitled, The Secret to a Happy Marriage, Men Giving In, says that if men want their marriages to last for a long time, the answer is simple. Just do what your wife says. Go ahead, give in to her. According to the article, John Gottman of the University of Washington studied 130 newlywed couples for six years in an effort to find ways to predict both marital success and failure. He and his colleagues discovered that those marriages that worked well had one thing in common. The husband was willing to give in to the wife. This is in direct opposition to the word of God. When you were a little girl, did you ever have a friend come over to play? Surely one of your friends was bossy. You had to do what she wanted or else she'd go home. Remember how that made you feel? 
Is that how your husband feels? Submitting to your husband displays not only your love for him, but your love for God as well. It is foundational for being a helper to your husband. Integrity versus manipulation. Love doesn't force itself on others. And the reference there is 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Do you know how to get the leadership position in your home? Sure you do. We all do. Tears, silence, pouting, harboring grudges, withholding sex, snide remarks, tantrums, and guilt, to name a few. This is called manipulation and is the tool women use most often in holding on to or striving for the leadership role. Manipulation means to control another by artful, unfair, or insidious means for one's own advantage. Proverbs 11.1 1 says that the Lord abhors dishonest scales. Doesn't this inspire you to want to avoid manipulation and be a woman of integrity? Are you a manipulative woman? Is a power struggle going on in your home? Are you playing tug of war with a husband about who will assume the leadership position? There was a time when that was true in my life, and this is Nancy. And it didn't last for just a short period either. It was a 23-year power struggle, and it occurred because I lacked wisdom. Wisdom versus ignorance. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. And the reference there is 1 Corinthians 13, 6. And this is Nancy. In my ignorance, I didn't fully understand what was happening. I was married for 21 years before I owned a Bible. I didn't know what God expected of me as a wife. After receiving Christ as my Savior in 1981 and learning God's principles for marriage, I was shocked. I had thought I was nearly perfect. How arrogant I was. If only my husband would change, I thought, I'd be so happy. But the more I got into God's word, the more convicted I became. I need to change, Lord, and by your grace, I will. I realized I had been self-centered, manipulative, and unforgiving. I poured over the marriage verses in scripture, and one by one, without announcing what I was doing, incorporated them into my life. In the beginning, when I was still immature, I didn't think my husband deserved this. Isn't that an awful way to start? But I wanted to please God, so I began. Will you? Surrender versus control. Love does not demand its own way, and that reference is 1 Corinthians 13:5. Maybe you're like the woman who told her friend, I want to obey Christ, but no matter how hard I try, submission just isn't my spiritual gift. Submission is not a spiritual gift. It is a choice. As one woman told us, my husband insists that when I say I want him to be the leader in our home, what I really want is to hear my words coming out of his mouth. Does this define your attitude toward leadership in the home? Ultimately, the whole subject of submission boils down to one issue, control. Letting go of control in the home is a difficult thing for most women. Until you're willing to let go of this, you're missing out on God's plan for your life. And this is from Connie. I have a wonderful friend named Sandy, who is the busy mother of five boys. Just short of their 25th anniversary, 
Sandy's husband, Mike, was near death after a three-month struggle with cancer. The night before he died, a small group of friends gathered with Sandy at his bedside. We sang, prayed, read scripture, and reminisced. Sandy shared a story that most of us had never heard. She told us how several years earlier, their family had gone to Mexico to share the gospel. They had a great love for the Mexican people and went there annually. Their boys, which included two sets of twins, were seven and younger at the time. They had been in Mexico for several days and were scheduled to leave the following day. Sandy was feeling sick, as were some of the boys, and she was more than ready to get back to the comforts of home. Their plans were to take a bus out the following evening. Can't we leave earlier in the day and not wait until evening? Sandy asked Mike. No, Mike said, I don't think we should leave before evening. Sandy asked again, but Mike remained insistent, saying, I feel strongly that we should leave in the evening. Okay, you're in charge. I'll go along with your wishes. As she told us later, I had lived my life trying to be a submissive wife, so I felt the final decision was up to him. We got on the bus about seven that night. We drove all night, and at about four the next morning, the bus came to a sudden stop. The passengers woke up alarmed. We were nowhere near our destination. The driver had gotten a brief radio message that there had been a bad accident and that we could go no farther. He knew no details. It was only later that we found out that Hurricane Gilberto had wrecked havoc further up the road we were traveling. A main bridge had been hit and had disappeared into the river below. The morning bus, which I had wanted to take so badly, was en route and received no warning of the impending danger. The driver had no time to react as the bus topped the hill. It plunged into the roaring river below. Everyone on the bus died. Five policemen were killed trying to save some of the people. Had I insisted that we leave earlier, our lives would have been lost as well. My own, my husband's, our five boys. I feel the Lord used Mike to spare us. He used you too, we told her. You could have insisted on leaving. You were sick, as were the boys. Undoubtedly, you could have worn Mike down and convinced him to leave earlier, but you didn't because you wanted to submit to his leadership. Perhaps you're thinking, but what if it had been the other way around and the evening bus had crashed instead? The result would seem tragic. We asked Sandy this very thing, and her response was, Well, then we would have been in heaven with Jesus. I feel I would have done the right thing even then. We can't always understand the circumstances, but we can always trust Him. It is impossible to analyze every angle of every situation before deciding to submit to one's husband. What is possible, though, is to obey God's word and trust Him for the outcome. I'll do my part when. As we've talked to women over the past few years, we found that the most common excuse for not carrying out God's role in their marriage is, I'll do my part when he does his. At the root of this statement lies disobedience. Whether your husband is doing his part or not has absolutely nothing to do with your obedience to God. Perhaps you hold to the verse in Ephesians 5.21 that says, 
we're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ideally, this is true. A spirit-filled person would be sensitive to others' needs and willingly serve them. There would be no domination or self-promotion. This is true for both men and women, but the husband's headship, as determined by God in the garden, remains intact regardless of whether he chooses this behavior or not. This verse, however, in no way negates the following verse. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, which is in Ephesians 5 verse 22. The latter doesn't depend on the former as many would like to think. Wives are directed specifically to submit, even though their husbands may not treat them in the same considerate manner. A husband's failure to obey verse 21 doesn't excuse or justify a wife's disobedience of verse 22. Note, there are moral limits to submission. It is only as is fitting in the Lord. A wife is not obligated to follow her husband's leadership if it conflicts with specific scriptural commands. See exceptions in the latter part of this chapter. Not to obey what you know to be God's command is disobedience. It is willful rebellion, the very thing that was so costly to Eve. The only way to successfully submit and bring glory to Christ as you do is for your motive to be personal obedience to God's word. There is no getting around this. Your success is determined by your desire to obey Christ. A final caution. One last caution. Don't be tempted to use submission to veil what in reality is a cunning, resistant heart. To do so is deceitful. For example, let's say your husband is interviewing for a job in another town. You are happy where you are and don't want to leave the comfortable lifestyle you've carved out for yourself and your family. Perhaps the job is a promotion for your husband, or maybe it would simply cut his commute time in half. You have no intention of moving, but you know it should appear as if the decision is his. So when he asks you what you think, you assure him that you will do whatever he decides. In the meantime, though, you mention frequently how happy the children are at youth group and how the transition could be difficult for them. You throw in the names of friends whose children refuse to go to youth group to drive home your point. The next day, you say how much you appreciate your local school system and what a wonderful thing it is that your children have found their niche especially Susie, who struggled so hard to find hers. You go on to mention that you don't know how she'll adapt to a new school, but probably she'll be okay, if you're lucky. At another time, you wonder aloud who will provide the Christian influence in your neighborhood if your husband takes the new job. Do you see what's happening? In the end, your husband may think he made the decision, but you know better. Is perfectly legitimate to discuss worries and concerns, but discuss them outright and without ulterior motives. Don't throw up a sham of being submissive when you know in your heart that you're not. It can be tempting to do this, yet regardless of who else may be fooled, the Lord is not. We can sometimes become short-sighted and lose perspective. We forget that life isn't just about the here and now, and often we strive to get our way in the smallest of matters. In reality, all that really matters is our obedience to God. 
Think again about how obedience brings glory and honor to Jesus. Become awed all over again that you have something to offer him. Think as well about how you want to be used by God. You don't want anything to hinder this. Our passion is to be used mightily for his kingdom. What a privilege. Yet we can prevent his using us when we disobey. We want the door to be wide open, not just mostly open or open most of the time. Seven simple tips. Many times what is pleasing to God is seen as foolishness by the world. Certainly this is the case with submission. Here are seven simple tips that will help you go against the flow. Ask the Lord to give your husband wisdom and discernment. Raise the level of your expectations of God's power working in your husband's life. Have you put a limit on your expectations of what God can do? Make a conscious effort to listen to your husband's point of view without quickly rejecting it. Ask your children to seek their father's permission and counsel. And this is Nancy. My children initially asked, why? We haven't done this before. Even he questioned me because it was so far from the norm. Affirm him when he makes a wise decision. Tell him how you saw the wisdom and what he did. Often a person rises to the level of another's trust in him. Pray for your own obedience. When you and your husband disagree on an issue, it is often a struggle to surrender your viewpoint. When his decisions prove to be wise, compliment him and express your confidence in his leadership. When he is wrong, as he sometimes will be, be gracious. Your attitude could well begin to build his respect for your wisdom. Exceptions You might be wondering whether there are exceptions in the area of submission. There are. God is the highest authority, and anything that goes against his word should not be done. You are called first to submit to God's authority and then to your husband's. If submitting to your husband's authority violates God's teachings, then your choice must be to obey God, not your husband. Some of the exceptions are crystal clear adultery, abuse, or asking you to worship other gods. There are many other areas that aren't as clear, and women wonder what to do in these cases. If you have such questions, or if your husband is asking you to do something illegal or immoral, you should take action. We suggest you seek counsel from God, prayerfully appeal to your husband, or seek counsel from your pastor or other church leaders you trust. Submission in the Godhead Submission is seen supremely in the Godhead. The head of Christ is God. Look again at 1 Corinthians 11.3. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Jesus himself, who is equal with his Father, submitted to his Father's will completely. In fact, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And you can see that in John 4.34. Regarding his will, he said, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And you can see that in John 5.30. Isn't this the way you want to live your life? Is your food to do the will of God? 
Do you desire to accomplish his work? Then choose to submit all areas of your life to him as Jesus did, including submission to your husband. Which do you think required more strength to do his father's will or to do his own? Was he weak or was he strong when he gave up his glory to come to earth as a baby? Gave up his voice, choosing to simply cry as a newborn? Allowed himself to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and cared for by Mary and Joseph? Was subject to his earthly parents? Was seized by human hands, mocked, spat upon, slapped, and scourged? went willingly to the cross, knowing the pain he would endure, refused the tauntings to come down from the cross and prove himself God, endured the silence of his own father when he became sin for the world, placed his own desires behind those of his father. Submission isn't a position of weakness, but strength. It is the key to a wholehearted commitment to God's word, into becoming the wife God meant you to be. Hey ladies, thanks for listening to another reading of The Politically Incorrect Wife by Nancy Cobb and Connie Grigsby. Right now we will go over the questions for chapter 5, Who's in Charge Around Here Anyway?, And if you want to look at the questions a little bit more in depth, they are posted on the podcast Instagram page at Messed Up Christian. And so the first question is, what does wives submit to your husband's ask to the Lord mean to you? And so for me, that verse in Ephesians 5.22 through 24 means to me that there's a hierarchy in my relationship in marriage, the same way that there's a hierarchy in the church. So we know that God is at the top of that hierarchy, and then comes Jesus, and then comes our husbands, and then we're under the covering of our husbands. And so to me, that verse that says, wives, submit to your husbands, ask to the Lord, that reminds me that I need to remember that hierarchy. So When I'm in a position as a wife and I'm not wanting to accept my husband's role, I need to remember the greater role that he's in and that he has to follow the leadership of Christ and God as well. So he's not even at the top of the food chain himself. So I should not try to overstep and put myself above him and that God-given hierarchy. Number two. Does this mean that you should never voice your opinion? And this question references a story that Nancy shared with us in this chapter. And even though, you know, we go back to number one, it says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I definitely don't think that this means that we should never voice our opinion. As a matter of fact, I think that the more that we give our husbands that opportunity to lead our households, the more that they will actually come to us to ask our advice or ask for help or just kind of dish out responsibilities to us that they know that we would handle so much better. But the situation that Nancy mentioned in the chapter was one that 
really made me feel uncomfortable, honestly. She had just come back from a retreat. I think she said that she was gone for about three days. And upon her return home, she received a call from her dad, who was undergoing an elective surgery, and he wanted her to come visit and help take care of him after. And in her doing the right thing, she brought the matter up to her husband and, you know, asked him how she felt about how he felt about her going. And he told her, he said, I don't want you to go. I think you've been gone, you know, a few days already and you just got home. Maybe it, w- it would be better on a different week. And so, you know, she mentioned being upset about that. And me personally, I was really offended. (laughs) I took it way personally, but I was really offended that he knew that her father wanted her help specifically and in her doing the right thing and bringing the matter to him, it seems like he would have had a little bit more leniency and said, you know what, she's bringing this matter to me. She's not making the decision fully on her own you know, it's only going to be for a couple of days. Why not? And I think, you know, when I read this and we shared it in my small group years ago, I remember all of us sitting around the table thinking, wow, she should have gone anyway. That's her dad. So we were very, you know, split on the matter of the situation that Nancy shared about asking her husband's permission. And then, you know, hearing what he said and despite it upsetting her doing exactly what he wanted her to do. So, um, as a wife, I think that definitely took discipline on her behalf. Um, it definitely took her putting her husband in that leadership role to a high. Um, because personally, I don't know if I could have done that. And I really don't know if I would have wanted to do that because, I think marriage relationships are obviously important, but I think sometimes we are called to help our parents and our family, and it's just something that we should do if we can. What do y'all think about that? (laughs) Um, The next question is, read 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 1 through 2, and it says, what may happen when a wife submits willingly to her non-believing husband? And before I read these verses, I think it's so important to understand that there are so many women who are Christian women and who know Christ, who have husbands who are not, you know, Christian men. And I think when it comes to being obedient, that's where a lot of women have an issue because we see husbands who are not being obedient, they're not following Christ, but yet we know that our role is to still allow them to be leaders of the household because it's the role that God gave them. And so, um, just throwing that out there, but here are the verses in 1 Peter chapter 3, and it says, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And so I think that is super powerful in those verses because that's saying, hey, you know what? Your husband might not be a believer, but if you're obedient and you follow Christ and you love him and your actions really reflect your belief, your husband is going to have a huge potential to fall in love with Christ as well 
specifically because you've been obedient yourself. And I think that is so powerful. And I think that's something that so many of us have to remember. Even those of us who have husbands that declare that they're Christian, who may be struggling and becoming even closer to God, we can still use that advice and continue to be obedient so our actions can not just have them to know Jesus, but to make them closer to Jesus as well if they already do know him. Number four, what exceptions are there to submission? Um, this was a good addition to the chapter, I think, because sometimes we look at submission as um, something that we're stuck doing, even if we're in really bad situations. And I know personally that if you're in an abusive relationship, if your husband is asking you to do something immoral, illegal, um, obviously you need to obey God over your husband. And so that's where it comes in handy to know God's word. And it comes in handy to be willing to live out your belief because if you do have an unbelieving husband, you're not supposed to submit to him because more than likely he's not going to be living the proper lifestyle to lead his family. And so back to the question, it says, what exceptions are there? And the chapter pointed out that, um, if your husband is asking you to do something illegal or immoral, you should seek counsel from God first, appeal to your husband. Um, and sometimes that's probably the hardest part when you are dealing with an unbeliever because it may be hard to communicate with one another. And the third option was to seek counsel from your pastor or another church leader that you trust with the situation. And so the next question is chapter five, and it says, where is submission seen supremely? And we can see submission supremely in the Godhead, where we see God at the top and then Jesus Christ following the will of his father. And so you can see that in 1 Corinthians eleven three. Number six. After reading this chapter, what principle do you understand more clearly? And I think um, the principle that really just kind of beat itself into me in this chapter, it refers back to number five where it says, where is submission seen supremely? And if you go to 1 Corinthians eleven 3, I'll read it. And it says, now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. And I think when we're in a marriage and we're looking to have a successful marriage and understand what obedience is and understand what submission is, understanding the supreme Godhead makes it easier for us to comprehend. And so I'm curious to know if any of you are hearing that for the first time about that supreme submission um, with God and Christ and man and then us falling underneath the man. Um, if it is your first time hearing that, I would love to know your thoughts. Um, so definitely leave a message on Instagram at MustUpChristian or you could send me an email to my Gmail at MustUpChristianWoman at gmail.com. 
I hope you'll have a blessed day.